All right, I'm Erin and I'm an alcoholic. I asked Paul if I could prepare a PowerPoint presentation, but apparently we don't have the tech to support that, so I wrote some notes. Um, and I'm gonna try to not just like awkwardly read from them the whole time, um, but I'm kind of a psycho. I give a lot of presentations like at my job, and so um, you know I kind of approach this the same way. Um, for those of you who I don't know, uh, the 5:30 here at Bolden is my home group. Um, I'm kind of guilty. Probably another suggestion I should take that um, another uh, you know person in our fellowship Kramer has been giving me is to go to some other fucking meetings instead of just going to the 5:30. But I'm still working on that. Um, so I know a bunch of you from my 5:30 crew, but a bunch of you I don't know yet, and I'm excited to share my story in the hopes that um, you know my story could help even one person for you know one night. Um, you know, is, is everything to me. So I'm grateful and, and honored to have the opportunity. So um, before I talk about myself for a whole awkward 45 minutes, we're gonna make it really fun. Um, I wanna share some context about my family. Uh, so my grandfather on my mom's side was a famous civil rights lawyer. Jim knows about him. Uh, and he died of alcoholism on a park bench um, in his early 50s. He went out and got super drunk the night before he won a historic case for Mexican-American rights in the Supreme Court. He was the first Mexican-American to ever lawyer to ever set foot um, in the Supreme Court. He won this historic case. Um, it was like a huge thing. But the night before, they couldn't fucking find him. He was like out at the bars till two or three in the morning. Um, they finally found him, brought him home, had to like throw him in the shower to sober him up. Next morning, he gets up and like goes and makes this like huge um, history. So despite the fact that he was really brilliant and accomplished, he died alone and penniless when my mom was like 10 years old. Um, my dad's dad was also an alcoholic and a hoarder, a double whammy. Uh, but somehow he managed to graduate from both medical school and law school. Very strange, not sure what that was about. He seemed maybe confused. Um, but I think it's safe to say that high-functioning alcoholism runs pretty deep in my family um, as a result of these, these stories. So because my grandfathers um, on both sides really struggled with alcoholism, um, you know, my parents did not drink and still really don't drink. My mom has never really drank in her life. Um, she's hilarious. She accuses like way too many people of having drinking problems. She's just one of those people who's like, and my friend Jeannie. And I'm like, okay, we don't, we don't need that. That really has nothing to do with, you know, she'll, she'll tell you everybody she knows is an alcoholic. But um, my dad has a glass of wine like every once in a while. I have never in my life seen him drunk or even close, like not even once. And it's funny because he has this, like, ever since, you know, I came into the program and talked to him about being an alcoholic, he has this weird, insane idea in his head that it's his fault for having, like, one glass of wine every few <laughs> nights when I was younger that I somehow, like, turned out to be an alcoholic, which I think just goes to show how, like, sweet and innocent he is and the fact that he has no fucking idea, um, like, what alcoholism <laughs> really is. Um, so that being said, now um, on to me. Uh, I started drinking and smoking weed, I think I was around 15. Um, and my mom would tell you that that's when my addiction began, like right at the beginning. And, you know, she's not wrong. Uh, 
uh, I thought that I was just being a rebellious teenager. And just to be clear, I had fucking nothing to rebel against even. Um, I was like pretty fortunate. My parents were like super like nice, loving people who worked really hard and like did their best. But man, I was a fucking nightmare. Like I distinctly remember being a teenager and being fucked up and like telling my parents like, fuck you, just horrible. Like the most disrespectful, terrible things. Um, but in retrospect, I was drinking and using drugs in excess from the very beginning. So as I was writing this out, I thought I would bring up a few fun stories from my teenage years, um, which are both sad, but mostly fun. Um, so one time my grandmother caught me hitting a huge bong in my room on Christmas Eve when she came in to ask me to go to church with her. So, uh, that was a low light, I would say for her. I didn't really care. My mom was really mad. Um, ooh, this is a, this is a worse one. One night, um, I drove home from like a house party after drinking and taking Xanax Spoiler alert, don't do that. And I completely destroyed someone's front yard and landscaping. Like I went back, so my car was all fucked up. And one of my girlfriends who was in the car with me, also terrible, was like, yeah, we like, we, we like got stuck at the end of this road and then you were driving through this person's yard. And so we like went back and looked at it and you guys like, I mean, it was shocking. I cannot believe the amount of damage that I did um, to this person's front yard, um, you know, driving all fucked up. Um, one time I snorted my name, E-R-I-N, in cocaine. Um, and I thought I was going to overdose, so I didn't, um, which is kind of a miracle. Uh, but, you know, at the time, it seemed like a good idea. Um, another time, another snorting story, I accidentally snorted meth on a yacht thinking that it was coke, and I didn't sleep for over three days. Um, and I had to go to like one of my many drug dealers' houses who was also a chef, and I was like begging him to like make me weed cookies and shit so that I could like try to like come down from this <laughs> terrible high that I had because I like had no idea what to do about the fact that I had accidentally smoked or snorted meth and didn't know what to like how to go to sleep. Um, another time, my parents found a pill in my jean pockets when they were doing my laundry. And they were convinced that it was ecstasy. <laughs> and I swore it was Claritin. And I was like daring them. Like, just fucking take it if you're not sure. And really, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I really hope it's not ecstasy. That would be really awkward, you know? My dad's like fucking rolling out of his mind thanks to some <laughs> pill in my jean pocket. But we'll never know because um, honestly, he was probably right to not take it because Lord knows what it was. Um, my younger sister uh, smoked weed for the first time at the ripe young age of 13 in the trunk of my car when my friends and I picked her up from school. Hashtag role model. So I was really setting the bar high, um, you know, getting my sister into drugs, uh, you know, at an even earlier age than me. Um, uh, <laughs> One time, oh, this is really bad. I was meant, we used to do like a rotating like car system where like, you know, different people would drive, like different girls in my girlfriend of groups would like drive us on different days of the week to and from school. And it was my day to drive. And so um, we had this like rotunda up at the front of our high school where like it was the entrance to the school um, and you could like pull up and park in front of the rotunda, but not for like long. You would just sit there and like let everyone pile in your car and then leave. And so I pulled my car into the rotunda and parked and got out to go find one of my girlfriends who was also like drunk and we couldn't find her at school. 
And because it was on kind of a slope, um, on the front of my dashboard was this like stack of photos. This was back when we all used to have like, you know, disposable cameras and get photos printed. And in the photos was like every fucking football player, athlete, cheerleader, everyone you could think of like beer bonging and like doing all kinds of drugs and terrible things. And the photos slid across my, the front of my dashboard. And so then, and because I couldn't find my friend and my car was illegally parked in the rotunda for probably an hour, um, at some point, you know, the principal gets involved and they're like, we need to get in the car. And so I call my parents because they're lawyers. And so I'm like, hey, um, this is not good. And they're like, well, it's like, they're like, well, who's in the photos? I'm like, everyone's in the photos. But it's not really the photos that I'm worried about. It's the fact that I have like a huge bong in a bong case and Lord knows what else <laughs> in the trunk of my car. Um, so that was a really bad day. My mom was really, really upset that she had to come to the school, talk the principal like in some legal, you know, mumbo jumbo about how he like couldn't get into my car. And then later that night, um, my mom like threw all my pipes away, which was really upsetting because, you know, like I had like a really great pipe collection back then. And so I was pretty sad about that. Um, so yeah, that was that was definitely um, a disaster. And then another time, um, if the principal wasn't mad at me enough, I kept pushing it. Uh, so my girlfriends and I skipped school, we got wasted, and then we went to school uh, and pulled the fire alarm, which you're not supposed to do. I think it's a felony. Um, and because I wouldn't admit, it was like my car again, why was I always driving? Um, because I wouldn't admit who had actually pulled the fire alarm. Um, they couldn't actually like do anything really, but they um, stopped me from walking in my high school graduation, which I didn't give two fucks about, but like my mom was obviously, you know, pretty embarrassed and disappointed by my terrible behavior. Um, so again, this was all in a pretty short um, amount of time. Um, but beyond all of that, um, alcohol and drugs caused me to go from playing like every sport you could think of. I was playing soccer, even volleyball, even though I'm like, you know, not tall at all. Basketball, like I was on the track team. I was in the National Honor Society, if you can believe it. Um, and I had a 4.0 GPA um, to zero fucking activities um, and barely getting in my college applications on time. I'll never forget like, you know, my mom screaming at me like, in those last couple of days when I hadn't filled out my college applications about how I was going to like really ruin my life for good by like not getting into college. But I was like too drunk and high to give a fuck um, even about that. So um, all that, um, I somehow managed to get into UT Austin. It was probably my famous grandfather. I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, but uh, my drinking and weed smoking kept escalating. Um, so by that time, I was, thankfully, I had graduated from doing pills and cocaine, but I channeled all that energy into $1 mimosas. Remember when $1 mimosas were a thing? I do. Um, keg parties, um, and an even more impressive bong collection, uh, than the one that I had in high school. I pretty quickly became, like, the girl who could drink and smoke weed as much as the guys and I collected all of my uh bottles of vodka in my apartment like trophies you remember when kids used to do that you know you'd like walk into their kitchen and they would be like up on like a thing well it makes me sick just thinking about it um honestly those four years are like really blurry um 
like, and I mean, I don't know how much of this is like, I was so fucked up versus like, I just kind of have balked it out. Um, but in hindsight, like clearly indicated that my relationship with both alcohol and especially weed, you know, probably drugs in general, um, was super unhealthy. So I have another few set of stories um, that, again, were like fun to think about and a great reminder as to um, why I never, ever want to go back to living this way again. Um, so one time I went to a UT football game, Paul, so hungover that I puked in the stadium bathroom and then kept drinking. Um, and that was really unfortunate. I looked really cute that day and really messed it up. Um, I went to this summer school pre-law camp at Stanford um, because, you know, my parents were lawyers and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I got kicked out for buying alcohol and distributing it to all the other students at the camp, <laughs> um, which, again, was pretty unfortunate to have to, like, call my parents from California and be like, um, I've been kicked out of this camp and I have to go home. Um, I knew all the door guys and bartenders on 6th Street, and I regularly attended things like $5 liquor pitcher nights, uh, and like everybody knew who I was. It was like a whole thing. Um, I drank and drove so frequently. Oof, this, again, also just gives me the creeps that my sister got really worried about it at some point and like told my parents on me. And I was so furious with her um, for, like, exposing this, like, problem that I had um, to my parents. And then super sadly, I, you know, like, I ran with a crowd who, uh, you know, also, like, partied a lot. Um, and it wasn't until, like, you know, many years later, but two of, like, my four best girlfriends from college actually ended up passing away um due to issues related to drugs and alcohol like later um in their lives um and you'd think that that would have been a wake-up call for me um but you know it wasn't until like long after that that I walked into this place um and decided that I was ready to to change my life um so if that wasn't enough I ended up in a toxic relationship with an alcoholic um, who later became abusive when he was extremely drunk. And so although I wasn't drinking as much as he was, I was definitely drinking a lot, but I was like judging him and rubbing his drinking problem in his face out of spite, just being like horrible about it. Um, it was a super dark time, um, and I turned to alcohol and weed to like numb the pain and like escape a lot of questions that I like was not prepared to ponder much less answer around like why me and why did I deserve to be treated so badly and like what's stopping me from like getting out of this fucking nightmare of a relationship and a situation. Um, so fast forward to the end of college. I graduated with an underwhelming 2.9 GPA. Um, I always said that I would go to law school, but then I was too drunk and high to study for my LSAT, which is kind of a deal breaker. If you want to go to law school, you actually have to take the test um, in order to go. And I failed to follow through on my lifelong plan, which made my government degree pretty fucking worthless. Um, I ended up getting a job at UT, which is where I learned how to be an even higher functioning <coughs> alcoholic. So it was common for me at this job 
to have breakfast and or lunch with my coworkers and have three drinks and even drink at the office. We would call them Tagosas. We would go to this breakfast place right next door to our office. And we knew the people there because we were in there like four or five days a week and chug mimosas and they would give us these huge styrofoam cups to take our mimosas out of the restaurant with us, like back to the office, um, which we called Tagosas. Um, and so I would, you know, do this day drinking, drinking at the office, but I was like still getting all my work done, feeling like pretty productive um, and proud of myself. Um, and then... I got a new alcoholic boyfriend uh, and my drinking and driving, he was much nicer, thankfully, um, but my drinking and driving was like at an all-time tie. It seemed like everybody's doing it. This was like pre-Uber, you guys, right? I mean, what was the world before Lyft and Uber? <laughs> like, it's hard to imagine now, um, but it certainly felt like everybody was like drinking and driving um and just like drinking in general going out in the lake like austin i feel like in general has like a or at least it has always felt to me like it has a pretty strong drinking culture um but looking back on it i consistently drank earlier more and faster than everybody else and it was the same thing with smoking weed like it was the exact same i could smoke weed hit a bong at like 8 a.m um you know that was just like a like a very normal sort of behavior um from like my perspective so i worked really hard i drank i drank really hard i smoked really hard and i threw myself into relationships and loved hard um rinse and repeat and so you know, moderation was not a thing um, for me. And really, it, like, still is something I struggle with. Like, I think um, I'm a person who, like, lives in extremes. I think probably a lot of us feel that way. Um, and so, you know, for me, I used, like, my degree from UT, like, the fact that I had this degree and that I had a job, um, to make excuses for what was clearly a very out-of-control um, party kind of lifestyle. Um, so then I got a new, even better job where day drinking was no longer an option, but my nighttime drinking increased to make up for it. Um, so all my coworkers were really young, um, it was like a very fun, cool culture. Our office was like like right downtown in the middle of like all the bars. And so we were going to happy hour almost every day. It was like a new set of people. We were all trying to make friends. That was like a really fun part of like getting to work there. Um, you know, again, looking back on it, felt like everybody was doing it and it was just like a thing, but I was definitely an instigator of a lot of this drinking. I was the person who would like insist on staying out until two, um, making sure we're taking that last tequila shot right before the bars close, wanting to like keep the party going afterwards. Um, and again, the darkest aspect of this chapter was my continued drinking and driving. Um, it's honestly a miracle that like I don't have many DWIs or worse that like I didn't 
hurt or god forbid like kill anyone while you know um drinking and driving as frequently as i was but also like i mean i was drunk driving not like have a one margarita or two margaritas and drink like or drive i was like really really pushing it um so then um i got an opportunity to move to san francisco and so then I started drinking red wine. Then I was really moving up in the world of my drinking. Um, and so that's where my obsession with Cabernet uh, began. I had a new non-alcoholic boyfriend. That was a step up. Um, he's now my husband. Um, and I wanted to be on better behavior. <laughs> so I switched from vodka and tequila to wine. Um, I joined a bunch of wine clubs. <laughs> I regularly blacked out on day trips to Napa because that's like a thing that you do when you uh, go when you live in the Bay. You're like, let's just go to Napa, and then you block out by like 2 p.m. Um, and my wine intake was definitely on the up and up. I started buying because I thought I was like a cool adult, like with my own apartment. And I now I live in a different city than my parents and I have this job. And so I started buying those fucking huge wine glasses that are really like two or three glasses. And then they're supposed to just like look cool, I guess. But are they just for us? Like, I don't know. But I stocked my house with these like fucking massive um, glasses of wine. Um and I and my job was like getting more and more crazy and stressful and I had really bad imposter syndrome at work like I you know was grateful to be on like a really strong career path but like as I kept you know getting more and more responsibility I started to feel more and more like I was in way over my head and so you know what better to fix that than like a bottle of wine um and so you know, I think I also, which again, I would never have like figured out, I tried therapy and that didn't really work well for me. Um, you know, I was also processing, I think, a lot of this trauma, um, both from high school where I was hanging out with all these girls who drank like I did. But like, if you've seen the movie Mean Girls, like that was basically my life. It was terrible. And then of course these like, you know, the ex-boyfriend who was abusive. And so you know, between the work stress and all this unresolved shit that I, like, couldn't bear to deal with, you know, um, red wine, um, you know, became my best friend. And on top of that, weed became really easy to get in California. Um, I had a guy whose real name I'll never know. Um, I had him in my phone as Mango. So good old Mango. Um, he would just deliver me weed to my apartment whenever I wanted. And then eventually, I replaced Mango with a dispensary that was directly below my apartment. I would just get on the elevator, go down four floors, walk like two feet, and then I was in the dispensary buying as much weed as I wanted after it became legal. Um, luckily, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't drink and drive. So that was good. It wasn't like I wasn't. It was just like I fucking literally could not. And Uber was becoming a thing. And I was like, oh, this is great news. Um, but I still had some embarrassing moments um, during those like five-ish years in San Francisco. Um, on my 30th birthday, I blacked out at like 3 p.m. and got kicked out of a really fancy winery, <laughs> which was really unfortunate. I had like rented this party bus and I had this cute outfit and all my friends were there and I like completely, I don't remember any of it. I completely fucking ruined it. 
um, I would regularly leave my Soul Cycle workout classes to puke um, because I was so hungover. <laughs> One time, I snuck a bottle of wine into a movie theater. So we had like gone and had drinks before we went to the movie theater, obviously. And then I was like, I can't stop. So I like snuck a bottle of wine into the theater and I fucking knocked it over. And you know how there's like the steps? <laughs> so then it's fucking rolling down the fucking steps and then it shatters. It was a, the hugest scene and they're like, who did this? And I'm like, I, not me, I don't know. And then after it all happened, you wanna know what I did? I went back to the store and bought another bottle of wine, stuck it right back into that movie theater. Um, so yeah, that was fun. I had totally forgotten about that until I started writing these notes. Um, one time at like a conference, um, you know, where I was speaking for work, which was like a huge deal. It was like a like 45 minutes, like a long talk. Um, and I had memorized every word. And I was like following somebody at work who was like super important. And somebody, the person going after me was super important. And I was way too like junior still to have gotten this opportunity to like speak at this thing in front of 1,500 people. I literally memorized word for word my entire 45 minute speech. And I was so nervous and like such a fucking drunk that I had like four glasses of wine before I got on stage and gave that speech. And to be honest, it went great. Um, or at least I think it did. Uh, but, you know, that did not seem very abnormal to me at the time. Um, because I was, like, using wine so much to cope um, with, like, again, like, the stressful job and then all this other stuff. During this time where I was living in San Francisco, um, I actually came home to Austin to get married. Um, and at my wedding, I knew that I could not fucking control my drinking and that my mom would never fucking speak to me again if she paid for that fucking wedding and then I like blew it. So I um, didn't drink at all until like 9 p.m. after my grandma left and then somehow between like 9 and midnight managed to black out. <laughs> uh, um, at least I didn't have my, my fancy dress on anymore at that point. Um, but I remember everyone asking me like, it's your wedding. Like, why aren't you drinking? Like, you're not drinking. And I was like, no, I really, I, I you know, and everyone's like, are you pregnant? I'm like, fuck it. No, I'm not pregnant. I just, you know, have a drinking problem, I guess. But like, no, of course at that time that wasn't like my, like, set of thoughts around it. I just thought, yeah, my mom will fucking kill me if I fuck up this wedding. So this is the only way that I know how to not fuck it up. Um, and, you know, she wasn't um, too mad the next day so that was pretty good um during this time when i was living in san francisco i also became a frequent flyer aka my airport alcoholism really took effect uh took flight actually pun intended um so i was flying between san francisco and jfk new york like all the time for work um and it was super normal for me to have four or five drinks on a flight while I was like working, sending emails, making PowerPoint presentations, getting things done. Um, certainly waiting in the airport. Um, you know, I think like looking back, this is when the first like amount of like kind of like lying started to happen about my drinking, right? Because these were business trips where I could like, I was by myself, my husband wasn't there. And so, you know, when I would come home with like my purple mouth, 
Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Um, my husband would be like, what are you, what's happening? And I'd be like, oh, I just had a glass or two of wine, you know, on the plane. I like a glass or two. Yeah, fucking right. I had like eight glasses of wine. Um, and so, you know, up until then, I was like largely a social drinker and mostly an honest drinker. Um, but the airport... Um, and like trips and flying and all that was certainly the time I think where like again now looking back it was super alcoholic-y but also was when like the lies started to happen. I realized I skipped an important story and this is a good one because um, I went to my wedding and I was like wait I forgot one which was my engagement story. <laughs> Almost ruined that too. <laughs> so um, we were in Maui. A bunch of us were talking about Hawaii right before this. This was like our my husband's I our favorite place, the hotel we always stay at. And they used to have this um, this like free happy hour <laughs> from like four to five or something p.m. And so as if like the fucking tropical drinks I was fucking having all day wasn't enough, you know, I loved that free happy hour. Um, and I would go every day to my fucking free happy hour at the hotel um, and just drink bottles and bottles of wine. And these people, you know, were so nice that sometimes they'd be like, we would like to go like watch the sunset down right below the hotel afterwards. And so they would like send us with a bottle of wine to go. And so um, I was pretty mad at my husband on this trip because I thought we were gonna get engaged and I had told him to like call the hotel and tell them like, hey, it's us again, we're coming back, you know? Cause that's like a smart thing to do so that they like give you a fucking a free bottle of champagne or something, obviously. Um, and we got there and he clearly hadn't done it. And like, are, am I really surprised by that? No, I mean men, no offense, but also, um, I mean, you met my husband, you would not be surprised that he didn't fucking follow through on the call. Um, and so I was like, oh, this trip is like, ruined like I'm not getting my engagement and you couldn't even bother to fucking call the hotel to give me a free glass of wine so anyways two days later we're at the happy hour and he's like I think you should like slow down like really like pace yourself you know like maybe like we're gonna go to the sunset later then we're gonna go to the other restaurant like just slow down and I was like how dare you you know ruining my great time I'm on vacation <laughs> and he was like well do we this we have this special dinner da, da, da. And he's, like, the sweetest man in the world. And so I guess he, like, convinced me to, like, have a fucking water or something. Um, and then a couple hours later, he proposed, which I do remember, thank God. Um, but, like, looking back on it, it's like, dude, I almost fucking blacked out on the night of my goddamn engagement because I couldn't even hold it together then. Um, so um, after those five years in the Bay, my almost blacked out engagement, my good behavior-ish at my wedding, which also was later a blackout, um, we decided to move to Austin, which for me is home. I grew up here, um, so don't be mad about all the Californians who are moving here because I'm from here. Um, I was still drinking a lot of wine. You know, fun fact, those wineries with the clubs and stuff, they will just ship that shit wherever you go. So you can just be like, JK, now I live over here. Um, but when COVID happened, you guys, as if things weren't bad enough, things really took a turn for the worse. So I started drinking earlier and earlier, more and more. Um, I was drinking alone. That's when my like solo drinking started happening. Whereas I used to drink like socially, I was at least having a bottle of wine every night. I'm talking fucking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, didn't matter. And um, I thought I 
with I, I like was really sick of the idea like I was over this part of my life where you have to like meet your drug dealer in a parking lot like I felt like that was I was above that um, and so because I couldn't go to the dispensary or text mango to get my weed anymore I decided that instead of weed which I like ditched pretty cold turkey actually I like found this newfound love for hazy IPAs and so obviously hazy IPAs are great because they have like five times the amount of alcohol in them than a regular beer. <laughs> um, and so when we would like go out and do day drinking and red wine is hard to drink in Austin where it's 150 degrees. And so hazy IPAs solved that problem. And then while everyone was like drinking one beer, I would have the equivalent of like three beers through my um, uh, hazy IPAs. So, so you know, that, that started to work pretty well for me. Um, and then I started exhibiting more and more behavior that could never pass as normal. Um, and this is when, you know, if, if all that other shit wasn't fucked up enough, it really got really bad. So I started stashing wine bottles in every closet, under every bathroom sink, in my favorite place, many of you know, the laundry room. <laughs> I like to call myself the wine monster and the my favorite place as the wine monster is the laundry room, um, shortly followed, of course, by the airport or an airplane. Um, I started chugging like a massive glass of wine, so the, like the big cups I was talking about, um, secretly before I would like pour my husband and I one at the end of the day. So I'd be like, yay, cheers, it's happy hour. And he doesn't fucking know that I already fucking had like the equivalent of two or three glasses of wine. Um, I was drinking wine just straight up out of the bottle. I'm talking like nice wine from Napa that I would get in those cases of those clubs that I was still a member of. Um, in my bathroom sink upstairs in between meetings at like two or three in the afternoon. I would go to the workout classes in the morning, Soul Cycle, and then I would stop at like Maudie's over here. And I would have like three mimosas and a raspberry margarita before going home to start my workday at like 10 a.m. And then when I was out to dinner with friends, um, I mean, first of all, I was always so fucking annoyed that everyone was drinking so slowly. Like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Or like, God forbid, they'd be like, okay, I'm done and leave. And like the alcohol is still in the glass. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, but I would say I was going to the bathroom and I would literally stop at the bar and like chug a glass of wine or like take a tequila shot or something. Um, just to like get in an extra uh, drink because I was like, you know, so annoyed. Um, and so, you know, I think some of the things that came with being the wine monster and living out of the laundry room stash full of bottles of wine, um, you know, again, like continued to escalate. So I got blacked out and fell a couple of times at home while my husband was out of town and I gave myself huge black eyes one of them lasted like two months. Like it was like one of those, I probably like broke a bone in there, but I don't really know. One of them was also on Christmas Eve. And so then I had to go to my mom's house the next day and there was like not enough makeup in the world to cover that up. And so I had to make up all these stories as to what happened, which in retrospect was completely unbelievable. Um, I got so drunk at a pool party that I hosted at my house that I threw up in my own yard and had to be carried to bed. 
Um, I was so hungover at work, not once, but twice, that I threw up at the office having to like leave important meetings to puke. Or one time I just had to hang up the meeting and then puked in the fucking trash can in the meeting room um, because I was like so hungover. And on one of these meetings, I was on a call with like one of my reports. So like this woman reports to me. I am her manager. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I gotta go be right back. And she's like, are you hungover? And I'm like, yes, yes, that's exactly what's happening. Like it was, oof, it was so bad. And it was, again, it like, it's kind of normalized at my job where it's very social, but like I'm way too fucking old um, to be, you know, doing shit like that. Um, and one time I came home so drunk that I was like jello. And so my girlfriend was like trying to help carry me, but she like couldn't carry me inside. So my neighbor had to help. I'm not sure if I owe him an amends for that, but I haven't done it. If I do, um, I think about it every time I see him, but I don't know how to be like, hey, that one time, we'll just say, you know, I've been sober for over a year now, and I'm so sorry about that. Um, But he seems to be pretty nice about it. Um, And so throughout all this, my obsession grew. My anxiety was through the roof. The only way to cure my hangovers was to start drinking again um i was essentially on like a classy wine fueled bender for the last six to 12 months of my drinking uh, which devastated my family and surely eventually would have forced my husband to leave me like he's nice but like nobody could have fucking tolerated this forever jesus um i was so ashamed of my behavior i fucking i knew that i was fucked Um, but I couldn't get out. I was like trapped in this vicious cycle of self-inflicted torture. And then after trying all the moderation tactics that we read about in the big book and failing miserably, I reached out to a friend, my now sponsor, to ask her for advice. Um, and she convinced me that AA isn't a weird religious cult. And she encouraged me, um, to come, um, to this little pink house and to look for similarities rather than differences. I put it off for a couple of weeks, um, but after a night out in New York where I called my dad absolutely wasted at 3 a.m., yikes, um, and the corresponding shame and guilt that I felt the next day, um, I decided it was time. And so came home from New York a few days later, I walked into this little pink house for the first time. Um, I was nervous as fuck, Um, I felt awkward. I had no idea what to expect. Um, But I was welcomed with open arms and smiles and so much support. Um, I heard step one, which Bill knows is my favorite step. And I thought, yep, that is fucking me. It doesn't matter that I haven't gotten fired by some miracle or haven't gotten a DUI by some miracle or whatever the fuck else. My husband hasn't left me for, by some miracle. Like, I knew as soon as I heard and read that step that this is where I needed to be. Um, I heard my struggles and other people's shares. Um, I've never been able to control my drinking. Um, and obviously, I fucking tried. Um, and all the other ways that I was trying to control things were ineffective. And I always say like such a bad vibe. Uh, but in here, the vibes were good, which was shocking to me. That was probably the most surprising thing about this place was that Jim was like telling hilarious stories and laughing. And like, I just was shocked that about such a, like a 
dark, tough topic that we're all able to sit here and, like, laugh about me snorting my name in cocaine and, um, you know, like, get a good kick out of all this. Um, And so people were, you know, talking about these types of things. Like, dude, no, like, no one in my life knows I snorted my name in cocaine. Um, And I would never tell them because they would be fucking mortified. That's insane. Um... But everyone in here was, like, talking about these things and are sharing them and listening and nodding and laughing. Um, And I immediately felt like I fit right in um, and that if I was willing to commit that this program, like, and community could save my life. Um, I was really desperate, obviously, to feel better. We talk about that a lot, like, the desperation and the bottom that you need to get to before you're, like, willing to walk through these doors and commit to this program. But I really was desperate to, like, stop fighting. It's really exhausting to, like, fight things, especially things that you know deep down are true. And I was tired of, like, blaming other people and, like, the stress that it was causing. I really wanted to, like, kick this addiction that I knew had such a tight grip on me And based on, like, you know, my grandfather who died at such a young age, like, I, you know, I'm smart enough to know that, like, there was only one way that this could go. If I, like, kept going, it was going to ruin my life and maybe kill me. Or I could, like, you know, um, say yes uh, and get help, um, help myself and not make excuses, something I'm really good at, um, about why it couldn't work for me when, in fact, it's worked for fucking millions of people. Um, so when I showed up that day, the longest I had ever been sober before, white knuckling, was 41 days. And I can't actually remember. I'm like, was it really 41 days or did I, like, cheat and lie in there? Probably cheated and lied, but 41-ish days. Um, and there's no way I could, like, even imagine doing that again, um, much less longer. Of course, I was lying. I was sneaking around. I was denying my problem. I was blaming others. Um, but as I started to get into this program, um, and since I am so grateful to have crossed one year, um, this past, uh, month, September 12th, um, I wanted to, like, share some of the things that for me as a part of this program have, like, helped me the most. So as I said, like, step one is everything. It's the thing I remind myself day in and day out. I am fucking powerless, um, over this disease. Um, and if I drink my life will become unmanageable. Um, Another thing is like, don't fucking get stuck on the God thing. Um, I didn't care enough to decide whether I was agnostic or an atheist before I came in here. And then I learned that atheism is like a serious thing. So probably agnostic, but um, you know, I didn't really care either way. And that was one of the things I was worried about, but like, that's not what this is about. It's about like spirituality and like believing in something bigger than yourself. And for me, that thing that's bigger than me is like this community. It's this program. It's this fucking pink house. Um, You'll feel better after you do your amends. Um, I was really nervous to do my amends. The hardest one was with my sister since she saw me at my worst and was like the most disappointed in me and it affected her the most. But man, it was good to like sit and fucking cry with her for an hour and like talk about all the ways that I hurt her um, and like hear her perspective and for her to like recognize that I was really trying to make it better. Another thing that helped me was like embracing my character defects. 
Um, uh, one of my sponsor like wrote them down and she would say stuff and like for the first time in my life someone no one other than your sponsor can be like you're self-righteous and you'd be like fuck yeah I am I am super self-righteous if anyone else told you that you'd be like fuck off but she like and I would carry it around and I showed it to my friends I'd be like look at all these things that are wrong with me don't you agree and they'd be like yikes okay yeah sure um, but like for me having that awareness and then being able to like kind of course correct on the reg was really helpful other thing that was really helpful was stop trying to control everything. Um, it doesn't work. It's a waste of time and energy. Nobody likes it. Um, it's it gives like now I'm just so much more just kind of like you know live like let life kind of like do its own thing um, and accept it on its terms and it's so much happier way to live. Um, other thing for me is I like to tell everyone about my recovery. I learned in a meeting recently that like. Um, it was like, well, you know, let's talk about anonymity. And I was like, I always thought anonymity was like, I just wouldn't say other people's names who are here. But for me, <laughs> I'm happy to tell people that I'm a part of AA. And for me, telling everybody in the beginning that I was in AA and getting sober was critical because otherwise I would have fucking cheated. If I had any friends who I thought I could drink with, I would have fucking drank with them. And so, um... For me, being really open and honest about my recovery has worked, although I know that that might be against the rules and you should do whatever you want. Um, recognizing and owning mistakes daily, I do like, I don't know, it's just like constant um, inventory rather than like writing it down on like a weekly basis. And for me, that works really well. I've become like the apologizer. So like if I fuck shit up at work or like whatever, I'm just I'm really quick to fix it. Praying, meditating, if you'd have told me a year or whatever ago that I was going to pray ever, I would have told you you're fucking nuts. But now, like, I say the serenity prayer, like, 100 times a day, and it just, like, helps me have a lot of, like, peace. Giving others, like, the grace that you hope to be given. I think, like, I can be a real bitch, um, just in general, but definitely to people when they're not doing what I want them to do, or I think they're being stupid or annoying. And then I realized, like, I'm often the person on the other end of that who, like, is confused or struggling or, like, just having a really tough time. And so, like, me being a huge bitch to people who are struggling is not fucking helpful at all. Um, making friends in here. It's more fun and it keeps you accountable because Paul will make you run a speaker meeting. Um, and then doing service. You could help save somebody's life. Like, everybody who was in the room the first night I came in here helped save my life. And, you know, my dad still struggles with the idea that I was an alcoholic. But I think the most, like, profound thing that I said to him is, like, you know, I've had this job for all these years where I get to, you know, in theory, help a lot of people. But, like, if I could, like, chair one meeting and help one person on their first day of being an AA, what the fuck in my life have I ever done that's even... 10% as meaningful as helping that person in their like biggest time of need um so with all that um you know if you would have told me a year ago that I would be sober that I would be obsessed with AA this little fucking pink house I would have told you you were full of shit um but I'm no longer the wine monster I'm proud to say um, nobody's worried about me. My mom comes over to spend the night, not because she thinks I'm going to get wasted and fall and have a black eye, but because she, like, actually just wants to hang out. Um, you know, towards the end, I could tell Waffles, my golden retriever, was pretty, like, scared and disappointed, which was very depressing, and now he's just, like, happy living his best life. Um, my husband looks like a million-pound weight has been lifted off his shoulders. My relationship with my sister is stronger than ever. 
Um, I'm sleeping better. I'm more clear-headed. I've lost weight. I feel healthier and happier and more stable. Honestly, I like feel like a whole new person. And I'm way better at my job. Um, I think and talk a lot faster than I did before, which makes me feel really bad for everyone I work with because I'm sure it's super annoying. Um, but for me, it's really fun. Um, and I'm a lot more fun to be around now that I'm not trying to be like the director and the main actor of fucking everything that's going on. Um, and instead just kind of like going with the flow as much as I can. Um, so yeah, this program has saved my life. Um, and I hope that it was helpful or at least funny to hear my story. <laughs> yeah.